A grocery store contains fruit, vegetables, meat, bread, and other items that can expire. In order to keep these items in stock, the store must be aware of how much food has been sold and what has gone bad. When a food item is low in stock, the store needs to order more of that food from a central distribution system. Managing food inventory is not simple. Some kinds of meat might expire faster than others. Avocados do not become ripe at the same rate as apples. In order to keep the shelves stocked, there are manual workflows for checking the inventory and ordering new inventory. Afresh is a company that builds software for grocery stores. Afresh works with grocery chains that have a central distribution center. These grocery stores already have some software. At the back of the store, inventory management systems maintain records of the items that the store has on the shelves. At the front of the store, checkout systems detect what has been sold to help update the inventory. When the inventory is running low, the store can order more inventory from the central distribution center so that trucks can deliver more inventory. Afresh improves the operational intelligence of these stores by detecting spoilage among items that are prone to expiration, such as fruit. Volodymyr Kuleshov is the CTO and co-founder of Afresh, and he joins the show to discuss the technical challenges of a grocery store and the software that Afresh is building to make groceries more intelligent. Find Collabs is the company I'm building. It's a place to find collaborators and build projects. If you're interested in finding other people to work on a project with, or if you want to find a co-founder for a new company, you can check out findcollabs.com. We're also having a hackathon with $2,500 in prizes. And some of the people who have created cool projects in the past have come on the Find Collabs podcast. So if you're interested in learning more about the Find Collabs community, you can check out that podcast. And I would love to see you on Find Collabs. With that, let's get on to today's show. Vlad Kuleshov, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you. You work on Afresh, and we will get into what Afresh is. But first, we should talk about grocery stores. I like to go to grocery stores. I like to look at fruits and vegetables and pick up stuff that is seasonal. But I've never worked in a grocery store. I have no idea how a grocery store operates, what the different employees do. Take me inside a grocery store. How does it operate? So in a typical grocery store, you have multiple departments. You would have so you would have produce, meat, deli, etc. And typically, each department has its own manager, and this manager does most of the work that goes into running running this department. And so that 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 includes some obvious things like helping the customers, stocking the shelves, unloading items that come in from the warehouse. But what's what really surprised me when I was when I started working on this problem is that they also manage all the important operational decisions around their department, such as how much should I be ordering, where should I be placing it in the store, do I need to run a discount? If I run a discount, what's the markdown in, in price? Do I need to add extra stickers for to, to show that it's on ad or it's on rebate? And so these are decisions that are that really, really, really affect the bottom line of the store which are made by these uh, by the same person that kind of helps you and that stucks the shelves. And they're doing it using very manual methods 
that are mostly based on their intuition. And so they receive these ordering sheets, which are faxed to them from the corporate office. And then they just use this, this pen and paper process to make all these key operating decisions in, in the supermarket. And so that's kind of what uh, this observation is part of what led me and my co-founders to start this company afresh to try to bring some data-driven methods into their decision-making. What are the areas of waste within a grocery store? Essentially, since a human does all these orders, again, without really any kind of data-driven support, their natural tendency is that I never want to run out of my items. It will look bad for... Uh, so my, my manager will will really not like this. So I better order enough to, to have in stock. And so that will naturally lead them to over-ordering. And the problem with perishable food is that, of course, it goes bad. And so stores are incurring massive amounts of food waste because of these manual ordering processes, which then in turn really, really hurts their profit margins, which are really thin, which are, which are just normally really thin. And basically, so you were asking about food waste more generally, it is a big problem, both at the supermarket level and at the level of the entire food supply chain. So if, for example, you look at the entire uh, US uh, food supply, the statistics are that around 50%, so 50% of all the food that gets produced ends up being discarded before it gets to the consumer. So this is a huge financial problem, a huge environmental problem. And of, of, the, of all of this food waste, about 40% occurs at the supermarket level and downstream. And so that's kind of the, I guess, part of what we're trying to do with our company is we're trying to, we're trying to make these manual processes more efficient by making them more data-driven. And then at the same time, it will significantly reduce the food waste at these supermarkets and then also the downstream consumers who buy this product. It will reduce the waste that they're incurring, which will really help, their, help the bottom line of our customers. And also it will be good for the environment. Grocery stores do have some technology. There's a cash register. There's a conveyor belt at the checkout. Some places have a self-checkout. There's also security camera systems. There's probably some other software, back office-related software. But generally speaking, grocery stores represent a kind of domain that software is starting to affect more and more in a way that's really positive. Because we have all these domains throughout our lives where... You just walk into these domains, like an airport. I think of an airport, for example. Airport's actually maybe not a great example because it's a little bit sophisticated. But you know, you walk into an airport, you're just like this. There's so much manual work going on, or work that is like suboptimal, like where people are using computers, but they're using computers in in a suboptimal, uh, not really modernized way. And that's that's to be expected because. Mobile computing's fairly new. Cloud computing's fairly new. You know, usable machine learning interfaces are really new. So there's so much room to modernize, so much room to save resources, to save waste in a really positive sum way. But before we get to that ideal, the stuff that you're working on, what's the status quo? What kinds of technology is installed within a modern grocery store. Yeah, I think you named uh, you named a lot of the main ones. Kind of these these devices that you described 
are where we get most of our data. So obviously there's the cash register, ADs, um, some fairly old equipment, various scan guns and handheld devices to scan boxes as they arrive, as they arrive and as they move through the through the store. So these would typically have barcodes, and they by basically by scanning them, there's a there's a record that's preserved of the box. Um, so leaving the warehouse, arriving to the store, then as they sold, these items are also being uh, tracked, and as they as they go through the through the register. You mentioned uh, security cameras. That's actually a really exciting opportunity. So uh, our system is currently not using them, but there is lots of exciting work in this area to also be able to use, or in, in, in the in the area, there's exciting work with uh, that that is being done uh, in grocery stores around trying to use that data a little, a little bit better now that we have improved computer vision. But I think the these, these processes are surprisingly manual and very old. This has traditionally been a very tech-averse industry, and only now uh, are they waking up to the need to adopt technology faster. So there's a few reasons. So traditionally, a lot of the technology that were that they were trying to, to sell them now, that centered around fresh food, was not as necessary because fresh food was seen as just a way to get a to get a person to come to the store. And then they would sell them these expensive, these expensive packaged goods where they would make most of their profits. Now, a lot of the um, not perishables are being sold via, are, are being sold online. People are buying them through Amazon and they get delivered to their door. So now the importance of fresh food is becoming greater than ever. And at the same time, they're facing a lot of competitive pressure from companies like Amazon that are now deploying their own automated grocery stores. And this is really making them realize the importance of adopting these technologies that we're describing. Explain what Afresh does. So Afresh tries to, we're, we're building technology that automates um, the supply chain decisions that are being made at the, at the supermarket level. And so effectively, we deliver a product to this um, department manager that I just described and this uh, system, from his perspective, it's a tablet which runs their software. And this tablet replaces the pen and paper workflow that we were just uh, discussing. So right now they get faxed these ordering sheets. Now all that information comes via the tablet. And you can think of this tablet as being a control center for their grocery store. So they can use it to, to do their orders. And if they want to set markdowns, they can also do it through the, through the app. And basically, we envision this as being as being the control center through which they can set all the all the operations through the store. Now, the key part of the system where we're going to deliver a lot of value is on the backend side, where we have a machine learning engine that we have developed, which looks at their historical data and automates all uh, automates all of these decisions that they're making. And for example, so effectively, the system pre-populates and sets sets the knob of this control panel to what we think they should be doing. And then they only need to review our, our uh, recommendations and either accept or or maybe slightly override some of our some of our recommendations if they don't agree with them. And so you can think of this process as so the the ultimate result is is a sort of automated supermarket where once they they accept our recommendations, the store replenishes itself and sets prices and generates any price markdowns that are necessary. And effectively, it's in this self-pilot, it's in this uh, self-driving autopilot mode with respect to all the key operating decisions that a person currently has to make. I can imagine 
workers within a store walking around with tablet computers, maybe it's an iPad or an Android device or something, and that software would let them make decisions. What kinds of decisions would the would the human be making? And like, would this be like the human's full time job? Are they just like, do they just become the kind of driver of the grocery store where they're like walking around, they're looking at stuff, and then they're kind of getting some signals from other things and and there's like kind of a human computer interaction thing i guess i want to better understand what the human computer symbiosis is what the what the computer is offering and what the human is making decisions on yeah definitely so yeah i think that that's a really great question because this symbiosis is really really crucial to what we're doing so first of all, the amount of time that, that the person currently spends on this ordering and on kind of reviewing their, their, their inventory and, and so on, this will significantly diminish. So we envision a world where these department managers now have more time to spend with their, with their helping customers and making sure that the shelves look good and doing all the important things that, that, a, that, that a human would do better than, than the machine. Now, in the time that's left, in the time that they spend actually using the tablet, they would do several things. One would be to review what the system is recommending and make sure that that it makes sense to them. And then also by reviewing them, they get to input some of their knowledge into the system. Part of the reason why these technologies that, that I'm just describing, so these supply chain automation technologies, have not been deployed in the fresh food vertical is because there are a lot of elements of what's in the real world and that's crucial that are not being captured in these typical data streams. So in the, for example, the cash register and what gets delivered, there's still many elements that are not captured in their database. And so by giving them this tablet, on one hand, we can push our recommendations to them and also we can pull certain aspects of, of what's happening in the store. And so this gives our algorithm data to make better decisions that could not be made otherwise if we were just doing a centralized system that only integrates in their that only integrates with their main warehouse. And so and so this is actually a really interesting design problem that I have to tell you that we're still iterating on many kinds of designs that will collect various sorts of data, but you can think of them providing rough high level information about what's in what's in the store or some elements about the quality of a, of an item that would come in and of course these are all these queries that, that we would ask the user are also data driven so for example if we see that given their historical data we now have a large error bar on what's in the store, then we can ask them, well, okay, can you tell me how many cases of this particular item do you have in the back room? Because now the data is, is, is looking, basically my, my model is now putting high error bar on that. And I need to query to ask you that question in order to improve my accuracy. So it's this twofold pro- process that's really interesting. This this kind of bi-directional process that's interesting. The advantage of this domain is that inevitability is on your side. Eventually, these supermarkets are all going to need to refurbish themselves as software-integrated shopping areas. So that's that's great. The problem is you are kind of by definition early because you're building the technology that they are going to adopt. So what makes it tricky is that there's so many different areas that you want to solve. And I imagine if you if you aren't aren't super familiar 
with the grocery domain, these things can start to look so interconnected that it's really hard to find a specific a specific problem to solve within the grocery domain. Like if you were to if there was some specific problem that you could find, for example, like you know, like let's say just apples. Like let's say you you could just optimize when a store should order more apples. You know, if you could just simply integrate with the cash register system, let's say you just integrated with the cash register system and the inventory management system, and let's assume those things are accurate, you could simply know how many apples have been ordered, how many apples have been purchased, and based on that information and perhaps some other inputs about how fast apples spoil or maybe like recent science about how apple spoilage has gotten better or something... You could probably integrate those things together and simply say, hey, grocery store, we are going to provide you with a model that allows you to more intelligently order your apples. Will you let us trial this? You know, they let you trial it, and then, you know, you reduce their apple apple spoilage, you make them some money, and then they, like, no-brainer, are willing to buy software from you. I just bring that up as an example because I'm I want to know how you actually enter into this market because... Selling software to a grocery store, I imagine, is really, really, really hard, and you have to prove to them some specific thing that you can do for them that is advantageous. So how do you enter this market? Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, so I guess the first quick answer is that we found that there is so much need for this tool, and there is basically the amount of money that they lose on this food that goes to waste is really huge and they're willing to work with a relatively young company like ours and, and they're willing to do pilots with us because they just see the immense potential that a technology like this can 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 have and they and yeah so basically that's kind of the short answer now maybe the slightly longer answer is that i can tell you a little bit more about how we structure this process and and how we got into this market in the first place and the story, so our initial partner, we started working with them, me and my two co-founders, Matt and Nathan, when we were still students at Stanford. So I was finishing a PhD program and they were finishing their MBA. And we got data from a supermarket chain that was interested to work with us while we were still students. And this was structured as a research project where we would look at their data and try to understand their sources of food waste, which is interesting in itself because uh, food waste is a societal and environmental problem that is interesting to many people in, in academia and nonprofits. Uh, and to them, this partnership was interesting because maybe we would find a better way to uh, some, some, some good way to reduce their food waste, which I think we did. So initially, we started this project as, as students, and this was a research project. And then we found a way to, so we, we basically looked at their, looked at their data set, looked at their, their waste, tried to understand why and when it happens. And then we came up with a system that, that would automate some of these decisions around uh, basically focusing on ordering. And then we came up with a framework for evaluating and trying to predict how much value this would deliver using a simulation on their historical data. And so then we gave them a presentation on these results and they were very excited and we saw that there was a lot of demand among other supermarket chains. And so we, yeah, and so, and so that's basically how we decided to form this company. And then currently the way that we sell this to software companies is 
very similar. We have uh, several steps. Initially, we get a historical data data dump from them, and we use this historical data dump to build a model and to again run a simulation on their historical data to compare their historical performance with the performance that they would have had if they had used our algorithm. And we then deliver a report with kind of charts and metrics, and uh, we kind of show them what our algorithm would have done and how the how this would have impacted waste. We explain them how our model works and how our simulation works and what are all the assumptions. We try to be conservative. And then we, 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 we let them see this report. We show them what's our expected ROI. And then based on this, they determine whether we whether it makes sense for them to proceed. And then, and then the next step uh, for us is to, is to deploy the system in a small number of stores, usually between one to five. And, uh, and then once that goes well, we move on to a larger deployment. So you get a historical data dump from a prospective grocery store customer. Yes. What are the data sets and the machines that they are giving you in that data dump? So basically, they give us pretty much everything that they record internally in their database or data warehouse. And this includes mainly things like their historical sales, their historical orders, their historical prices, their, their, their shipments between stores. Sometimes they track their waste, uh, although it's not often, it's not always accurate. So we can get a feed of that, uh, historical ads, markdowns, etc. So it's a lot of time series data and it's everything that, so uh, th- these are things that are usually recorded either at the cash register or at at various places in their supply chain when they move boxes and when they scan them with uh, with a gun. So, are most grocery stores this well teched out, or or are we talking about some specific set? Because this is like somewhere in between the technological sophistication of Whole Foods, which is very sophisticated, versus your random mom and pop grocery store or like a farmer's market. How many grocery stores are this technologically sophisticated where they're tracking all this data? We work with supermarkets that are self-distributed, meaning that they own their warehouse. And this is typically, so when you look at chains that start to have 25, 30 stores or more, uh, then it makes sense to them. It makes sense for them to have their own warehouse. And then they there's there's a lot of standard tools and processes that are used when managing a warehouse, which then record all of this data. So basically, these are kind of mid-sized to large chains that we work with. So we don't work with uh, small mom-and-pop supermarkets or small small mom-and-pop corner grocery stores. So in, in, in the U.S., about half of the stores, half of the grocery stores in the U.S. would be part of a chain which would have this kind of technological sophistication that I described. Yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense because I think about like Safeway or HEB. Those are the grocery chains that I'm most familiar with. They're pretty well-run operations. I'm thinking about it now. You know, I earlier I kind of categorized grocery stores as a place where technology has not invaded that much, but it does feel like Safeway and HEB. If I think back 10 years ago, they are much more well-run today than they were in the past. So I can imagine them actually having a good amount of data. And again, this this data depends on the supermarket chain. Definitely, we've seen a lot of variance in how much data they store, and it has never gone 
gone back to like 20 years ago, it's always it's always on the order of like between one and 10 years of data that they have. And so they definitely have not been recording this data for a long time. But in the last decade or so, they have gradually been adopting more and more technology and they have been understanding gradually the importance of data. And, it, and now it's been, it has become easier and cheaper than ever to store this data. And so the last several years is when this data has become truly available and available for, for companies like us to use. And also something else that I want to add is, I think a lot of this technology, so a store like Safeway definitely has a lot of technology, but something something that we noticed, and that's one of the key ideas or key observations that, that are important to our business, is that a lot of this technology have been, has been developed for non-perishables, because traditionally, most of the profits of these stores have been from non-perishables. And these technologies for non-perishables, they don't work for, for perishables because the data may be noisier and then the decision is more difficult and need to be more accurate. And there are some things that we don't observe in the data and the need to collect via our own kind of tool. So basically via this app that I was describing to you. And so, yeah, even though they do have a lot of technology, there is a big lack of technology for fresh perishable food. And that's a really big problem that we're trying to solve. Yeah. The data dump problem brings up an, an interesting and generalizable question I have for you. So when they give you this big data dump, I imagine there is a lot of data cleaning that you have to do. They probably have some multiple different systems internally. There's probably some kind of uh, data matching problems, like kind of figuring out how to join one data set to another. But once you have that solved and you do your proof of concept with them, the advantage is you can say, look, that took us a long time. But now we understand your systems really well. Here's like five different ways you could make your systems more efficient. We want to help you do that. You could become a kind of systems integrator for these grocery stores as well. So it's a very interesting proof of concept, like initial engagement with the grocery store company. And I think this maps to what a lot of different... SaaS companies are doing right now, like infrastructure SaaS companies, whether they're selling to banks or selling to insurance companies or selling to oil companies, they kind of have to do this systems integrator kind of like consultative approach. But that consultative approach gives them a really, really good in to developing a close relationship and figuring out what, like, first of all, what do you need from us today? And second of all, what are the SaaS tools that we should be building that will be desirable in five years? Yeah, that makes sense. And I agree with, uh, with, with the part about data cleaning. Uh, so there's a saying in machine learning that 80% of the work is about understanding, kind of getting the right set of data, and then 20% of it is actually the modeling part. So in, in our case, basically what we found is when we start working with, with a supermarket, often not all the data is good, but we can really separate well the good parts from the bad parts. And so off the top of, so when we get initially this, this, this data set, we can often cover about 50% of the store just without doing a lot of complicated data work. And then we can really quickly by then investigating the remaining 50%, we can really quickly kind of go and identify the good parts of that data and do some cleaning only on the data that's uh, where we where we need to do this, this work. And again, there are a lot of very standard ways of doing this that are common across 
with different supermarket chains. So effectively, when the data is bad, it's often bad in very similar ways. And we can easily reuse our existing cleaning uh, modules to new customers, which makes acquiring this, which makes cleaning the remaining fraction of the data that's not as good relatively easy and easier with each new with each new customer that we're facing. And we're actually putting a lot of thought into how to uh, how to architect our software that we use for, for for setting up our ETL pipelines such that it's maximally easy to 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 perform this integration process and quickly apply our existing cleaning rules that we know to the data of our customers. Describe a typical real-world problem within a grocery store that you can solve with machine learning. As I mentioned, one kind of a really, really, really important problem is around their ordering, and that's what we've been focusing on the most. So how much of a particular good should I be ordering on any given day? So how many tomatoes or how many avocados or how many, how many pounds of salmon should I be ordering into the store on every day that they're making an order. And this is a huge problem, again, because the only information that they, that they have right now is maybe some numbers that tell, that tell them how much they sold on the same day a year ago or how much they sold last week. And then they have to not even look at these numbers and then using their kind of intuition and, and, what, it, and what they remember from their recent sales, they have to Guess okay. How much am I? How many more of this item do I do I need to order? And again, they tend to typically overorder, which causes waste, which is really bad for their bottom line. And using data-driven methods is much more efficient. Can you talk through in, in any more detail, like how that would apply to a specific product? Like, let's say I wanted to better figure out how many avocados to order. I want my automated system to tell me that rather than having a human walk up to the avocado area at two-hour intervals throughout the day and try to gauge how fast the avocados are being consumed. Walk me through like what would be the development and the deployment of that kind of model and how it would be consumed. Yeah, so we've built several models. And I think the way that we've been breaking up this problem is, uh, so there's this concept in kind of machine learning called uh, model-based planning, which means you perform decisions by first learning a model of the world, and then you solve an optimization problem where you make the optimal decisions under this kind of model of the world you have you have inferred from data. So the modeling problem is more of a supervised learning problem. And so we basically train a probabilistic model to predict how much they will be selling given various input parameters. So the the key source of uncertainty about the future is how much are they going to be selling of, of a particular given good. And that's a function of many parameters, such as, their, such as the price, the day of the year, the weather, any kind of holidays, events, whether it's an ad. So there's a lot of parameters, some of which we can control, some of which we cannot control. And so we need to learn, um, based on their historical data, the mapping of all these variables. Now, the output of this model is a, it's a probability distribution. But yeah, it's a, it's a probability distribution over a given a horizon. And then this basically defines then the expected utility of the store, given the decisions that, that, that they were going to be making. And then our goal is to find the best sequence of decisions that optimize the expected utility or the expected objective function of the store uh, under this probability distribution. So that's kind of the high-level algorithmic idea. Yeah, I guess um, I can tell you a little bit more about how we how we implement this or how we deploy this. Maybe you can actually tell me what you think it would be more uh, would be the most interesting. 
why don't we actually take a step back? Let's let's talk about the software stack of Afresh more broadly, and then we'll revisit the machine learning side of things. Okay, cool. So, like, you've got a, a bunch of different problems you have to solve, or a bunch of, well, not, you, you have technology choices to make. So, like you said, you've got this initial point of proof of concept that you need to establish with the grocery store. So you've got, you get a big data dump. You need to have some way to load that data dump into your data infrastructure. Your data infrastructure is sitting on some kind of cloud provider. So you have to choose whatever cloud provider you use. You're using some data engineering tools. You're using some kind of machine learning framework, I imagine, or you've rolled your own. And then, you know, once you build this thing, you, you build the model, you're able to output the results of that, and then you present it to them. And then once you are integrating them with your full application stack, I, I don't know how much of this you've built yet, but you have like a mobile application that's sitting on a tablet somewhere. You've got a uh, a backend server that's sitting somewhere. You've got to have a place where you host your models. You've got lots of choices in cloud infrastructure and SaaS services. I, I know we can't go through your entire stack, but can you outline the contours of it and, and maybe just point out any interesting tech, technological decisions, any software choices, vendor choices that were surprising to you that, that you ended up making? So I guess there's maybe three or maybe four high-level pieces. So obviously one kind of set or like three, uh, three or four classes of, of or like three or four high-level sections of the of our, of our of our system obviously there's the front end part so we have a mobile app that we that we kind of deploy in the stores which is uh, connected to to an api backend that powers this app so there's some interesting design choices there that needs to be that need to be made some of these are a little bit i think so some of these may be a little bit proprietary because we think that that uh, kind of the user experience is something that's really really kind of interesting and differentiating well, that thing I will probably cover at a higher level than, than than the other parts. Then another part is, which I think sits in the middle of our system, it's our data backend. So we receive a lot of data from the customers, and an interesting technical challenge is how do we actually store this data effectively such that it's uh, easy to access by a machine learning system and the the app API backend. And such that it's uh, yeah, so, 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 so it's uh, kind of we, we can we can safely and easily access this data. So so there's a storage backend in the middle. Then going one step out, uh, there's an there's an ETL system that feeds data that feeds that, that daily dumps data into this data backend. And so it's actually there's actually an interesting question on how we design this uh, ETL that connects from the customer and feeds data into the system. And then finally, there's a compute backend which sits closely with the data backend where we want to launch our machine learning jobs and uh, where we want to, uh, so both doing both training and inference and then, yeah, save the results of the uh, of the of all these runs to the, to the data backend. So yeah, if I if if I, if I were to put it in, in four parts, I would say uh, front end, data, ETL, compute, and I can dive deeper into these if you want. Yeah. yeah. Why don't we delve into the data infrastructure side of things? We've done all these shows about data infrastructure recently, talking about different streaming platforms different machine learning frameworks. There's a whole lot of, I guess, development going on in the data infrastructure space right now. I would say there's much, I mean, 
there's a lot of churn in the in the the kind of Kubernetes infrastructure space too, but I think it's nothing compared to the data infrastructure space where you have so many different options, very few best practices that have been developed. Give me your take on data infrastructure. Yeah, I think that we've been approaching this this problem in steps and I think Initially, we just did the easiest and fastest way to get a first system out there, and it was not optimal. And we've been gradually iterating on this initial prototype and adding features as we we thought are the most crucial. And I think we're still in in this process. So I can tell you maybe a little bit about the past and about the future. (laughs) So basically, the, the very first thing we started with was a big data warehouse where we stored all these big data dumps that we get from our customers so we're we're currently running on Azure, and so we use their service for that. And we experimented a few others, but with we, we we've used a few others at various points. But because of a combination of kind of technical and business constraints, we went with that option, and then then have been gradually added adding additional additional components, such as like a you know additional data storage components, and kind of creating a convenient API layer for for the machine learning system to be able to access this, this data effectively. And then I think the some of the f- future vision that we have is around using technologies such as Spark. So we're actually currently architecting our system to use Spark both for handling uh, the ETL and the data warehouse parts of it. And uh, I can tell you some of the reasons, or I can tell you some of the business requirements that are, yes, some of the the technical requirements that are driving this decision. So as I mentioned, something that's really crucial for us is to be able to quickly integrate with our customers and get and quickly get good data from them. And this needs to be basically one important way in which we can do this quickly is by reusing components from our earlier, basically by reusing components across different customers. So by using a system such as Spark, which has a lot of really nice APIs around, say, so there's we're mostly working with this uh, Spark data frame API that allows us to structure our code and, and architect it in, in the form of modular and reusable components that we can easily deploy for other customers in, in the future. So basically, reusability is is one big thing that we that, that we think we're getting from Spark. Another one is, sorry, is that that's model reusability? So like, if you built a model for avocados, you could reuse it from one store to another. No, not quite. These would be things that. So so for example, we sometimes see that an item is being sold under two ID numbers, for example. Ah, uh, oh, like oh, the PLU numbers. Yes. So under two internal identifiers. So that's a common problem, but now we're at the stage where we can really quickly fix such errors by using standard cleaning rules where, well, okay, these two data feeds perfectly match with each other if we, and, and then with this other data feed, and then we can combine them in a certain way. And then we can just kind of add that module that we have that, that's written in a general way that's not specific to any customer. So this the double PLU number question, it raises something in my mind that's kind of an adjacent topic to this whole software thing. I feel constant anxiety whenever I go into a grocery store because I have no idea if I'm supposed to get the organic or the non-organic because I worry that the organic title has been entirely captured by uh, kind of the, you know, just, just the regulatory changes, like ways that people can get around the spirit 
of organic. And the markup is oftentimes, you know, 2x or 1.5x the price. Given that you have a unique view into the supply chain of groceries, do you have any perspective as to how contaminated or how captured the idea of organic produce has become? <laughs> I, I think the um, whether organic food is, is superior to non-organic food that that's like a very very long that's a very long discussion. But in terms of their ability to label this data, I, mean, I think it's actually pretty. I'm, I'm pretty confident that when uh, that, that the organic items are labeled properly, but you might have some issues in that if you go to the cashier and then they scan your your organic or non-organic apple, it might get scanned under the, the other code that I think you might you might see. But I am I would personally not be too worried that the label that the original that before the cashier the the, the label would be wrong that I'm a little bit less uh, worried. Fair, fair enough. Fair. A couple more questions related to actual software. You've done research on accurate uncertainty in deep learning, and I think this is a very interesting term, accurate uncertainty. As I understand it, it means you are trying to find how certain you are, what your probability distribution is and 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 rather than just say yeah i don't know how certain we are i don't i don't know what what the actual you know uncertainty is i just know that i'm unsure unsure you're talking about finding an actual measurable numerical uh, version of explaining your uncertainty explain the term accurate uncertainty using an example from the grocery domain yeah, sure. So this is something. So the, the notion of uncertainty and outputting and using probabilities is something that's really important and really central to the machine learning part of our system. And it's this idea that, well, first of all, what is uncertainty and why do you need a probability distribution? So let's say that I need to determine how many apples I'm going to buy. If, if today I need to order apples, how many apples should I bring to the store? So this really depends on the demand and how much am I gonna how much am I gonna sell. A traditional forecasting method like Arama or moving average, things like this, you would get a single point estimate of of this number. So this is not sufficient for our purposes because we also need to then transform this into a decision. And what we actually need it's a distribution over all the possible outcomes that are going to that, that will happen in the future. So with some probability, I will sell 10 cases. With some probability, I will sell, I will sell nine, nine cases, eight cases, uh, and, and so on. And then by assigning a, an, an accurate probability to each, of these, to each of these outcomes, I can then compute the expected value of any kind of decision that I will be making. And this allows me to actually make much, much better decisions because I'm actually much more I'm tracking of what's going to happen in the future in a much better way. That's one reason why probabilities are important. Another reason has to do with being able, with the model, kind of knowing what it knows and knowing what it doesn't know. And that's really important when we're building a system that works with a human operator. Then the system can hold off from making a recommendation if it sees that it doesn't have enough data to make a good decision. So that, that's another very important application. And then you ask, what does it mean to have accurate uncertainties? Well, effectively, these probabilities, they should correspond to the true real-world probability of what will happen once you make this decision. And so this is where the way that we're thinking of this is that kind of the empirical and the predicted probabilities in the long term should match. So if I assign something, if I assign an event of a probability of a 90% to an event, well, then it better be true nine times out of, or 90 times out of 100 times when I make this uh, prediction. 
And so that's something that we're baking in into our system, and it allows us to, to make better decisions. All right, final question. How will robots change grocery stores? <laughs> I mean, there are many applications. I mean, there are some applications which are applications of, of robots. Now, uh, even in kind of mid-sized supermarkets, there's a lot of exciting work that's been done by companies to try to use these robots to assist, uh, to, to actually count inventory. That's another big area where they're being used. And then I think in bigger stores, there's, of course, a lot of uh, automation in the warehouse and things like this that are happening. And I don't think that robots are going to be overtaking grocery stores because ultimately the differentiating, what's going to really differentiate the supermarkets is going to be the, you know, the quality of service and the human element and whether you will be, you know, the friendliness and the helpfulness of the staff. And so I think that in the future, as we automate a lot of the things that machines are good at, humans will have more time to do the things that they're good at. And these are things like helping the customer and ensuring a really good experience. So I think basically the, the, the world will be good because humans will, be, will have more time to do the things that they're good at. And the more tedious decisions, those will be left to machines and algorithms and robots and so on. Vladimir, thanks for coming on the show. It's been really fun talking to you. I think Afresh is a really cool and futuristic company. So best of luck. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you, Jeff. This has been super fun as well. Uh, thank you for having me. Thanks. Awesome. Thank you. Wow.